Hello, this is Pastor Patrick Hines. I'm going to press on in the book of Nehemiah, but before I do, just say hello to Lizzie. Lizzie was nice enough to come Lee. with me to Cincinnati. She really wanted to be in the video and have a small little part, but okay. Good night, sweet cakes. Love you, babe. Yep. We'll see you, babe. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. So for three days, Nehemiah's there. After he gets there, he comes with a military escort from Persia. Remember that? He had their... The, the horsemen uh, came with with him, the military escort, and also had letters to all the uh, right people so he could get there. Because at the time, this is a, a Persian territory, really, that he's going into, even though it's Jerusalem. Verse 12, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So he's being very covert, very secretive at first, and that's very smart on his part. Because Nehemiah is well aware of the fact that this part of the world where he is wanting to rebuild the wall of the city of his fathers here in Jerusalem, he's well aware that it's surrounded by hostiles. It's surrounded by people who are not going to be okay um, with him wanting to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Okay, in fact, the previous verse uh, to our passage we're looking at here um, in Nehemiah uh, chapter 2, verse 10, when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. <laughs> I mean, think about that. They were angry. They were deeply disturbed that someone would come just to seek the well-being of the people of Israel. And I just want to tell you, as I mentioned last time we looked at that last passage, um, if you're a minister of the gospel or an elder in the church and you seek the well-being of the children of Israel, me meaning the church, you seek the well-being of the Christian people and of the doctrinal purity of the church, uh, there will be people who are deeply disturbed by this and will not like it at all. But Nehemiah is no fool. He knows that they're going to be surrounded by enemies during this project and so he's, he doesn't come into town trumpeting, I'm here to rebuild the wall, and God was with me, and this happened with King Artaxerxes, and that's why I have letters and the military escort. He doesn't tell anybody what's going on yet, because he wants to get the lay of the land. He wants to, to see what is a good game plan here. What's very interesting here is this path that he walks in verse 13. Listen to it. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the, in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. That's kind of the same path that they end up walking. Him and Ezra walk kind of around the, the wall once it's complete, as they have a, a great dedication ceremony towards the end of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's pretty remarkable um, that they, they walk a very similar path. But he's going out just kind of checking things out. He wants to see exactly where the damage is, um, where the repairs need to be made, how big of a project is this going to be, how much materials are they, are they going to need, uh, how many people are they going to need to help work on it. So he is being wise, even though he knows God's hand is upon him and that he, God is blessing him and God is protecting him. He still wants to do due diligence. And that's something that we have to do. Uh, we can't just think, well, God is on our side, so we don't need to think. We don't need to analyze. We don't need to come up with a game plan for anything. That's just not the case. We need to be wise 
um, as serpents, but innocent as doves. And that's something Nehemiah really was. He was very uh, street smart in terms of understanding what his enemies were going to do. And because of that, he was always one step ahead of them. And every plot that they come up with, everything that is thrown in his direction in terms of a trial, Nehemiah is able to deal with successfully. He knows the people that he should not talk to, and he doesn't talk to them. And he knows what he needs to do in terms of motivating his people. And he stays focused on the task at hand. And there's so many wonderful applications of this stuff um, to our contemporary scene and to the ch contemporary church culture that we're facing today. Verse 16 of Nehemiah 2. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So... He doesn't even tell anybody why he's going out to do this. He doesn't tell anybody what his plans are. He doesn't tell anybody why he went on this nighttime trek around to check things out. He doesn't tell anybody anything. Not because he's scared or trying to keep it a big secret. He's just being wise. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. In other words, a city that had no wall around it, it was seen as embarrassing. Uh, it was kind of a joke. I mean, they're, they're not serious people. If you don't have a wall around your city, you're susceptible to every kind of invasion or attack or anything like that. In fact, there's a proverb that says that a man who has no control over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So think about that. If a person does not have self-control, they're like a city that has no walls. In other words, they're defenseless against every temptation that comes against them. If you don't have self-control, if you don't have rule over your thoughts, your mind, your body, every temptation that comes at you beats you. But if you're like a city with a wall, then you can fend off your enemies and you're protected. So he says to them, to, to motivate them, Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So that had to be very encouraging to them to hear the whole story. Yeah, I was, I was the king's cupbearer, and then my brother Hanani uh, came back with some other people from Jerusalem and told me what a mess it was. So I wept and fasted and prayed and prayed for success. I, I even invoked God's covenant promises from the book of Deuteronomy um, when I was praying that when we were disobedient and scattered to a foreign land like we were, that if we repented and returned to him with all of our heart, then I'll, I'll bring you back. So here we are. He's brought us back. And I had the guts by the grace of God to ask King Artaxerxes, let me go and rebuild the city of my fathers that lies in ruins. And King Artaxerxes said, okay, sure. When are you coming back? And gives him all the letters that he needs, gives him building materials, and even gives him a military escort. So it's obvious, God's hand is all over this. And so Nehemiah is now relaying this to the people there to get them motivated. God is on our side, we have a great work to do, so let's get busy and go do it. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Isn't that amazing? It just took one guy showing up with a vision to accomplish this. To, and to encourage them. And next thing you know, they're saying, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And they set their hands to this good work. Now here comes the opposition. As soon as you start trying to rebuild the, the broken down walls, as soon as you 
have a passion for evangelism, as soon as you have a passion for sound doctrine, as soon as you want to teach and preach the gospel that we're justified by faith and not by works, and you want to emphasize the perfection of the finished work of Christ, and that all who believe are unconditionally elected by God from all eternity, by name, to be his people. And that's what grace is all about. Once you do that, I want to introduce you to Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official. You'll meet them. They won't have those same names, but their agents are still around. Listen, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Okay, stop right there. Will you rebel against the king? Is that what Nehemiah wanted to do? Did he want to rebel against the king? No. No. So why would they do that? Because they're liars. Always remember this, please. If you're a Christian, and you're godly, and you find yourself up against people who do not have standards of conduct, you will always be at a disadvantage. If you find yourself in conflict with certain types of people, even inside the church, um, if you're a person of integrity, you will find yourself at a distinct disadvantage at all times because you have something that your enemies don't have, namely standards. Satan's agents inside the church and outside the church don't play by rules. They will lie, cheat, slander, murder, destroy, rumor monger, backbite, stir up strife, sow discord. What do you think they asked that question? Will you rebel against the king? What are they trying to do? They're trying to make this look like this is the precursor of a rebellion. Let's get everybody to turn on them. Let's get King Artaxerxes to think that that's really what they're up to. Well, is that what they were up to? No. Well, it's not really fair to say that. Satan doesn't care about what's fair or not fair. He will lie, cheat, steal, kill, slander, murder. There are no boundaries for him. No standards. And his followers and his agents, they usually don't even know that they're his agents. But they don't have standards at all. And to get what they want, they will lie, cheat, steal, destroy, kill. Verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Good answer, Nehemiah. Good answer. What is this thing you're doing? They, it says they laughed at them. They despised them. Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, Geshem the Arab. They heard that we wanted to rebuild the wall and they laughed at us. And they despised us. And said, what is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will rise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Notice, he doesn't answer their, their lying question. Because he knows it's not a serious question. Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't say, we're not here to rebel. We don't want to rebel against the king. He doesn't even entertain their question. And we, we all need to, to learn that. We need to learn that. Don't respond to false accusations and lies. Jesus didn't. When he was on trial, there were witnesses that were bribed to lie about him. 
And what did Jesus do? Did he stand there and go, no, I didn't actually say that. Well, that's not really what I meant. He doesn't say a word. Why not? Why didn't he answer? I, I would have been tempted to be like, that's not true. I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. But this guy, will you rebel against the king? I would have been tempted to say, no, we're not here to rebel against the king. Let me tell you the whole story. These people aren't interested in the story. They're not interested in hearing about his prayers and his tears and his love for the church and his love for God's people and how King Artaxerxes let them go and gave them letters and how he prayed before he spoke. These people aren't interested. Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, Geshem the Arab, they don't care about things like this. This is a classic example that you're going to see again and again in Nehemiah. Matthew 7, verse 6, in action. What does that verse say? Do not give what is holy to dogs. And don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and tear you in pieces. It should be kind of rare that we designate people in our minds to be dogs and pigs. But if you want to have a prosperous and productive, fruitful Christian life, you have to learn how to discern who the dogs and the pigs are. Because you will meet them. And I guarantee you right now, you know some. You might not think of them that way yet, but you probably will eventually. Matthew 7, 6, don't give what is holy to the dogs. There are certain people that email me stuff, the nastiest stuff you can imagine, and I don't answer it. There are people who I know just want to hurt me. And uh, they're not going to get the first response out of me. They're not going to. In closing, uh, I want to read just one verse of scripture to you. Just recently I was sitting back on my, uh, my swing that we had installed back there that my, my son Paul installed on top of two trees that overlooks the cow pasture back there. When I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 5, I just kind of randomly opened my Bible and just was looking for something to read. And this verse just stirs my soul every time I read it. 1 Timothy 5, 24. And this is in the context of church elders and disciplining church elders and not being partial in the way you judge, but you have to judge at times. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But the sins of other men follow later. Some people, it's obvious. Okay, this guy, he's got a girlfriend on the side or he's doing something terrible or he, he embezzled money or something like that. That's easy. The, I mean, the, some men's sins are clearly evident. But those of some men follow later. Some people may look like they're qualified for a very long time and you won't find out that they were sinful, that they were bad guys all along until much, much later. That happens, and the scriptures warn us about that. Nehemiah understood how to discern dogs and pigs because he had to deal with a bunch of them. I want to tell you, the reason they got that project done in 52 days and then had the word of God brought in there and read all those people, which was a precursor to one of the greatest revivals in history, is because Nehemiah knew how to deal with dogs and pigs, and that is, you ignore them. You don't negotiate with them. You don't sit down with them. You don't try to understand their journey or where they're coming from. You ignore them. You push them aside, and you stay focused on the task at hand. 
That's what the Christian church needs to do today. You denounce the LGBT stuff and move on. You denounce critical race theory and you move on. You denounce all the compromising about women being in ministry and, you know, one, ever a guy saying this. Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. I mean, he could have said, women are not permitted to teach or have authority over men. He, just, he says, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over men. So that means he's just giving personal preference, not conviction, not principle. That's an old argument. It's over 100 years old. And I'm sure it's even older than that. The liberals tried that long ago. That's not a serious argument. That's ex he is giving principle, not preference. And the argument that this individual is making is that, well, so if we have a different preference and we do want women to teach and have authority over men, we can do that. No, you can't. No, you can't. Plus, how about this one? Galatians chapter 5 says what? I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. So he says, I, Paul, he could have just said, if you receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. But he doesn't. He says, I, Paul, say to you. So he's just giving preference, not principle. Paul's actually okay. I mean, some people might prefer to, to add works and circumcision to the gospel, to, to faith in Christ as a means of justification. You see how absurd that is? Dogs and pigs, you got to know how to deal with them. Because if you don't, you'll spend, you'll waste your life distracted by them and throwing pearls in front of them and giving what is holy to dogs. Jesus said, don't do that. Nehemiah, we're going to learn as we read through the rest of this book. This guy understood that really well. And that's why he did so much for God. He stayed on task. And he knew who the dogs and the pigs were. I know that sounds harsh, but if you don't understand how to discern dogs and pigs, um, you're going to be distracted a lot. And certainly aren't going to do like what Nehemiah did. So anyway, I hope that was helpful. Thanks for watching or listening.